Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Dr. Karen Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. I am super excited about today's topic. It is a subject I've been wanting to cover for a long time. It's something that I've been interested in for years. In fact, my dissertation was on this topic. Okay, wait, some of you are rolling your eyes. But in psych, so many of our dissertation topics are super interesting and talking about things that, well... Psychology is all about how we think and behave and why we think and behave and how we do it differently in different stages of life. And so it's stuff that really resonates with all of us. And my dissertation topic is one of those subjects. So my dissertation was titled Individuation from Family of Origin and Identity Development in College Students which is really just kind of a fancy way of saying how do you break away from your family when you're a young person launch into adulthood and does your family help you do this and figure out who you are or does your family tend to be the type that prohibits some of this self-exploration and self-discovery so I'm bringing in an expert later in the program Dr. Brad E. Sachs who wrote the book Emptying the Nest Launching Your Young Adult Toward Success and Self-Reliance So you guys know what a psych nerd I am. And of course, I saw this book a couple years ago. And because it was basically the topic of my dissertation, and also because as a stepmom, I have stepchildren in this age bracket who are launching and and becoming young adults, I figured it would be really interesting to me on so many levels, both professionally and then personally. So I bought the book, devoured it, started passing it out to friends. (laughs) You guys know how I am. And when I decided to start the podcast, Dr. Sachs was one of the first people I knew for sure I wanted to reach out to to see if he would appear on the program. And as I mentioned, he'll be joining us later. Everyone knows I love nothing more than a party, which is why I'm so excited to welcome our newest sponsor, Chaotic and Collected Garlands and Party Decor by Jess Downey. Jess creates hip and handmade party supplies. Check them out at chaoticcollectedinc.com. And if your party has a theme that is a little unconventional, Jess is your girl because she loves creating custom designs for your party. Say a hipster baby shower or a craft beer party or my annual wine and cheese soiree chaotic and collected and let's set the stage just a bit we're talking about individuation launching moving from your family of origin moving from childhood toward adulthood and it's something that is a bit of a thing nowadays that perhaps it wasn't in years gone by. And why is it a thing? If you talk to folks in the older generation, they might say something like, well, you know, at 18, you were out of the house and you had a job or you went to school and you were grown. You were an adult. Yet nowadays, we often see young people going to college and then moving right back home in ways that maybe we didn't see with our grandparents' generation. 
So there's a lot of nuance to this. There's a lot going on that we want to process and understand and unpack. There are some strong feelings attached to all this. You have people saying, well, just kick that kid out of your basement. I mean, what's your problem, right? Or you have people saying, well, the economic times are different and and it's tougher for kids nowadays. So give them a break. So there's some strong opinions on both sides. And Dr. Sachs does a nice job of helping us see where there might be a middle ground. But to kick off the conversation, I want to play a little bit of a movie clip. And it's kind of interesting when you think about art, whether it's film, whether it's music, whether it's visual arts. Art reflects the societal conditions and art responds to it. Of course, it also influences societal conditions, but there's an interplay there. I find it interesting, about 10 years ago, there was a movie called Failure to Launch with Sarah Jessica Parker and Matthew McConaughey. And it's kind of interesting to think, would this movie have been filmed 50 years ago? Would the notion of failure to launch even have been a thing? Probably not. But because this condition, this circumstance kept happening in society and in our culture, then film responded with its own depiction of the emptying the nest or inability to empty the nest phenomenon. So let's jump in where Sarah Jessica Parker's character Paula is making her pitch to Tripp's parents and Tripp's parents desperately want him out of the house. And Paula claims that she has the secret way of getting even the most comfortably unlaunched sons out of their parents' basements. He's, he's smart, he's sweet, he's funny. We had a wonderful first meeting. I see incredible potential here. So all systems are go. Based on the initial personality assessment, I think that I can have your son moved out of this house and living on his own by June 15th. <laughs> Hallelujah! Well, you know, you'd be amazed at how many adult children are still living at home. Now, it's my opinion that the root cause is a lack of self-esteem. Oh, Oprah talks about that all the time. Oprah don't know crap. Heck, when I was growing up, nobody had self-esteem, and we turned out fine. You're a rock, Al. You make me a better woman. Look, many young men who should be able to move out simply can't. It's called failure to launch. What I want to highlight here is that Paula's describing Tripp as being a catch. And he's talented and he's smart and he's sweet. He has so much to offer. And I think this is very true of many of the circumstances that families find themselves in. The young person is quite capable, quite talented, has everything going for him or her. And yet, for whatever reason, that next developmental step seems too arduous. It just seems too difficult in ways that perplex everyone involved. Everyone's confused as to why the young person doesn't want to get out of the house. Why doesn't this young person want to go and forge his or her own way? And so there's a lot going on that isn't readily available to any of the family members. And what I mean by not readily available, there are dynamics at work that because you're part of the family system, you don't have the objectivity to see them clearly. And Dr. Sachs will explain this a little bit more in depth in a few minutes. But it's that reality that when we're part of a system, we can't objectively see what's going on. We're part of it. We're entrenched in the dynamics of that system. 
So we are not fully aware of what's going on, which of course is why I'm a big fan of family therapy, because that therapist will be able to look at the dynamics and identify nuances and and powerful forces that are at work that the family members themselves just don't have the objectivity to view. So let's pick back up with Paula as she continues her pitch to Tripp's parents. Is there anything that we need to do? Well, for starters, you could make life a little more difficult for them. You know, uh, more chores, more responsibilities, that kind of thing. I just think you should know that Trip has had some rough breaks. I promise you, when this is over, Trip is going to be an independent, self-sufficient adult. So there you heard Paula giving a little bit of coaching to the parents. So while she's going to work her magic, she's hoping that Trip's parents might make life not so cushy for their grown-up son who continues to live in their home. And you probably caught that right away mom said something to the effect of, but Tripp's been through a lot and you should know this, which is interesting. It suggests that mom sees Tripp as somewhat fragile. Even though he's a grown man, she still sees him as her little boy. And that's another element of family dynamics because we don't see each other with full clarity within the family. And this lack of clarity is particularly troublesome during the transition from childhood to adulthood. It stresses everybody out. The parents are confused. They don't feel needed anymore. And that affects them and and their role and their understanding of their identity. Who am I if my kid doesn't need me anymore in the same way? And the kids struggle too. They don't yet have the confidence to know that they can make it in adulthood. And what's interesting is that parents unwittingly confirm their child's insecurities when they do too much for their son or daughter. The parent feels like, I'm loving my kid. I want to help my kid out. It's rough out there. Things are different. The economy. But all the kid hears is, mom and dad don't believe I can cut it. They don't believe I can make it in the world because if they did... I'd be out. Now, I'm not saying that anyone understands this on some conscious level. That's what I was talking about earlier, about all these dynamics that are at work that are just beneath the surface. No one can fully put their finger on all this, but it's happening. And again, it's not as if mom and dad are trying to communicate that we don't believe in our young person. We don't believe that our son or daughter at age 25 can make it in the world. They wouldn't say that, but their actions are saying that. And the kid slash young person is receiving that and then believing it to be true about himself or herself. And it's playing into and confirming and supporting his own insecurities and nervousness about his ability or her ability to take the next step into adulthood. And what's hard for so many parents is that this whole process is so counterintuitive because parents have this instinctual desire to protect and and care for their kids. And yet part of parenting, especially when kids are getting ready to move into adulthood, is to allow kids to experience some of the hardships of life. 
So I want to play just a short snippet of a speech from Dr. Sachs that explains this more fully and really speaks to what we've been talking about here, what even Kathy Bates's character, how fragile Trip is, and it really speaks to all of these concerns. So let's give a listen here. Nothing important comes easy. Uh, pain, discomfort, and disruption are necessary counterparts to growth. All parents want to protect their children from pain, from discomfort, from suffering. But the reality is it's only when we encounter pain, it's only when we experience adversity that we grow. It's when the world disappoints us. It's when the world disillusions us. It's when our expectations don't match the world's expectations. That's when we grow. It's that friction, it's that tension, it's that incongruity that really promotes our development as human beings, that, that deepens our soul and ennobles us. So while we don't want to uh, leave our children overly vulnerable to pain and discomfort, we also don't want to get in the way of it too much because that's something that tends to grow us up. And again, if you look at artists, whenever I go to museums, I'm always looking at artwork. You know, many um, great painters, when they're painting adolescents and young adults, they capture that anime, that confusion, that bewilderment. This is a, a picture by Medigliani. And, you know, look at the expression on her face. Um, you know, you can see that uncertainty. This is Degas' self-portrait as a young man. You know, these are not cheery, chipper, you know, hyperactive-looking uh, pictures. These are portraits of individuals who are really struggling with something. This is Cezanne's young Italian woman at a table. Artists uh, of any sort, graphic artists, visual artists, musical artists, literary artists, they have a way of capturing the elements, the fundaments, the essence of human experience in a way that other people don't. And so we want to pay close attention. When artists depict a young woman looking like that, it tells you that there's a lot on people's mind. And that's what we don't want to lose sight of in our efforts to help our children get to the right college, in our efforts to help our children learn good manners. We don't want to lose sight of the actual experience of what it means to be a human being. That's something that tends to grow us up. Isn't that the rub? It's so hard for parents to sit back to sit on their hands and allow their kid to struggle. And that's so much of what's going on with the failure to launch and the emptying the nest. Dr. Sachs also points out that art reflects what we see in life and these young people are struggling to find themselves. And so this is reflected in these portraits. And I know that you can't see them, but we'll throw them on my social media so that you guys can check them out as well. I think one of the most wonderful parenting approaches or just rationale for wh what are we doing here as parents? And I think I hear it a lot when parents say things like, I just want my kid to be happy. And I think, but if that's the goal, you're coming at it <laughs> from the wrong approach to my mind. To my mind, your job is to help your young person find their niche in society where they are best suited to contribute then when they're contributing and they're making an impact on whatever little part of society that they are meant to be a part of, that's when they'll feel good about themselves. That's when they'll have self-respect and that's when they will be then happy. This is Alexis Hyde and I'm the director of the Museum of Broken Relationships in Los Angeles, California. And I love listening to Love and Life with Dr. Karen. And I know you will too. And now, let's jump into my interview with Dr. Sachs. Dr. Sachs is a psychologist, educator, consultant, 
and best-selling author specializing in clinical work with children, adolescents, couples, and families in Columbia, Maryland. And he's the founder and director of The Father Center, a program designed to meet the needs of new, expectant, and experienced fathers. Dr. Sachs regularly writes articles on family life for magazines such as Red Book, Parenting, Parents, Child, and American Baby. He's renowned for his creative and innovative treatment of children and families, and has lectured and led seminars and workshops both nationally and internationally. He's been interviewed on over 300 radio and television shows, including The Today Show, 2020, The Montel Williams Show, The Sally Jesse Raphael Show, and The Diane Reem Show. Dr. Sachs, welcome to the program. Thanks very much for having me. So I'm really excited to talk about this. This is the topic of my dissertation, and it's something that I'm really passionate about. And so I picked up your book a couple years ago, and I jumped right in, and I just absorbed every ounce of it because it's something that hits so many of us on so many levels. But I'm curious, just as a writer, what was the tipping point where you finally realized, okay, this is something that I'm seeing enough in my clinical practice and I'm seeing around me and I really need to put this down on paper and, and, and share some thoughts with, with people? Well, it's a good question and, and you've begun to answer it because one thing that was happening is that I was seeing this issue and this matrix of concerns more and more frequently in my practice, which is young adults who are really struggling to gain traction and or parents who were feeling somewhat bewildered and perplexed regarding how to best promote their young adult child's growth. Uh, the second more personal piece is that most of the books that I write kind of emerge from the developmental phase that I'm in. And at the particular juncture when I was writing this, we have three children, and all three of them were in various stages of uh, launching and hitting the runway and soaring off on their own. So this sort of synergy of uh, personal life and family development, along with this general ecological reality that young adults were really struggling to achieve autonomy and self-sufficiency, those conspired to prompt me to try to put some of these thoughts down on paper. Well, and I think it's such a great resource. I immediately bought several copies and started handing them out to friends and to family who had young people in this age group. And it's something that I think parents struggle with. And I'd be really curious to hear what you think about this. Um, one of the quotes from your book that I really liked, and I, I wrote it down, one's tenure as a parent has not been fulfilled unless and until one's children can stand on their own feet. And I've heard it put this way, the job of a parent is to work yourself out of a job. And yet it seems that parents have a harder time, maybe nowadays and even days gone by, with letting go. Well, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I'm really hesitant, you know, in, in the press and in the media, parents get blamed, you know, they're helicopter parents or they're snowplow parents and they don't know how to let go. Or the young adult gets blamed and, you know, they're layabouts or they're the millennials who don't have any motivation or ambition. And I'm, I'm really hesitant to oversimplify why the departure point for young adults has gotten so complicated because, you know, some of it really is a socioeconomic narrative as much mm -hmm. as anything. And you can never completely uncouple human behavior from these general narratives that we're all a part of. I mean, the reality is, you know, when I, when I was in high school, uh, a lot of my classmates uh, left high school, got good jobs in various industries and trades, and, and were able to really create very quickly uh, a financially self-reliant life that was quite nice. They could buy a house and have health insurance and have a retirement and a pension and two cars and send their kids to college. 
you know, the possibility of a, of a couple raising children these days without a college education and having those kinds of options and privileges is long gone. So the conveyor belt that leads young adults towards self-sufficiency is far longer and much more complicated than it was before. And some of that doesn't have to do with frailties or failings on the part of the young adult or the parents. It's just a reality of a world that has changed and a landscape that has shifted underfoot. And that's a really interesting point to bring up because the model, as you speak to, that was very effective even maybe a generation ago is not really available anymore based on, like you said, the current landscape. And I also like that you kind of look at, and this is throughout the book, you you really look at, at the the situation and the circumstance, not as the lazy kid who won't get up off their butt and do anything, or the parents who are just hovering so much, as you as you put it, the helicopter parents. You really take a systemic approach throughout your book. And for listeners who don't really understand what I mean by a systemic approach, can you talk a little bit about that and just explain what you mean And, and when we talk about family systems? Yeah, sure. In every intimate relationship of any sort, there's always some sort of reciprocity, some sort of feedback loop. And um, the behaviors that we see and that we elicit and we engender in the person that we're in a relationship with, they don't occur in a vacuum. We each contribute to those interactions and those realities. So to look at just one generation or one individual in a relationship tends to really limit and narrow our focus. When we talk systemically, you look at the family as an entirety as a network or a web of relationships in which, you know, people are interacting with each other constantly and basing their behavior on the kind of behaviors that they're receiving or responding to. So, you know, the parent might complain that, oh, you know, I, I bug you so much about getting a job because you won't get a job. And the young adult might then say, well, I would get a job if you didn't bug me so much. And then they go around this hopelessly subjective cycle of finger pointing each other when the reality is that there's some complicated reality that's making it difficult for all of them to move forward with their lives. And the other piece is that it's not just the young adult who has to change. You know, adolescence doesn't just happen to the adolescent. It happens to the entire family. And the same thing is true with young adulthood. It doesn't just happen to the young adult. Everybody has to adjust and adapt and evolve and move forward. And so sometimes the young adult is struggling to move into the next phase of his or her life. A lot of times the parents are struggling to move into the next phase of their lives. And when their lives have rested on the fulcrum of child rearing for many years, sometimes they're a little bit frightened about having that fulcrum removed and they feel tremendously imbalanced and unstable. I think that's really well put. And sometimes I see friends and so forth, and it seems that 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 transition, like you're saying, it's it's putting the whole family in a developmental crisis, we called it in grad school, you know, where we're, we have to make this next step and it's happening to the whole family. And maybe the parents are looking at each other and realizing that they're going to go back to being primarily husband and wife, which shouldn't have that, that relation, the marital, the, the hierarchy of the marriage and the family should have been at the top. But sometimes that's just not what happens. And so I wonder sometimes if parents look at each other and go, wait a minute. If the kids are really all gone, then we really have to focus in on each other again. And we're not quite sure what that's going to look like. Yes. And 
Of course, what complicates matters when we look at things, what we're calling systemically, is a natural urge that every individual has to become competent, to become masterful, to become successful and self-reliant. And that's something that's embedded and inherent in all of us. So if it's not occurring, that means certain forces are working against that. So the idea of trying to motivate your son or daughter to get a job or to go to college or to succeed at college or to be in a relationship is pointless because motivation basically is an inside job. It's something that emerges from within us. But what sometimes happens is the parents, in their efforts to motivate their son or daughter at any stage of development, and certainly during young adulthood, uh, actually wind up undermining and corroding or eroding their son or daughter's motivation. A lot of times parents are so intent on making life easy for their son or daughter uh, at the young adult stage that there's not much internal motivation to have to do the hard work necessary to become self-reliant. If life at home is very pleasant and all your needs are taken care of and bills are paid, it may not feel all that necessary or all that important to do some of the necessary conscientious effort required to become more autonomous. So in general, allowing children, adolescents, young adults to capitalize and, and to make manifest their motivation to succeed is the best approach. And our efforts to try to get them motivated tend to get in the way and to interfere with or undermine that motivation more than support. And that's what I love about systems theory, because it really causes us to question our typical approach and our observations or our understanding of what's going on. I mean, there's always a secondary benefit. Even when someone's suffering or the family's suffering, there's something that's working. Something is functional, even though it may appear dysfunctional. Something's working for someone in this family. It's almost noble. The, the child senses at some level, probably couldn't articulate it, but senses that if I truly launch, my family could careen off course to the point of chaos so I better stay put, <laughs> despite all the arguments about get off your butt and get a job. Yeah. Hi, this is Damia Jackson. I am an avid listener of Dr. Karen's Love and Life podcast. It empowers, educates, and informs me to make better decisions in my life. I am happy that this resource is available to me. Just kind of segueing from what you just spoke to, you talk about the responsibility imbalance. And you say that in some families, young adults are granted a reprieve from responsibility to such a large extent that they feel no obligation to perform duties that benefit anyone other than themselves. And thus, they don't build the self-respect that comes with taking appropriate responsibility. And it's again, like we were saying just a moment ago, taking too much care in a sense of a young person and not realizing that you're denying the young person the opportunity to kind of show themselves what they're made of. And because they haven't had that chance to show themselves what they're made of, they don't have self-respect and they aren't motivated. And so it's this vicious kind of cycle that's in place. I think that's very well put. Um, knowing what you're made of, knowing what you're capable of, you know, testing your own metal, those are the essential attributes of self-esteem and self-respect. Children don't derive self-esteem from being told that they're terrific or wonderful or great or awesome. You derive self-esteem from taking on challenges and realizing that you're resilient, you can survive, and you can transcend adversity and grow from it. That's, those are the building blocks of self-respect and self-esteem. 
And as I said, that's an internal process, and parents at times would do well to marginalize or peripheralize themselves enough so that the young adult has the opportunity to summon his or her strengths, resources, and talents, and uh, shake hands with adversity and grow from it. Right. And you even go on to say that at some level, parents, and, and it's usually subconscious, but they're depriving the child of responsibility. And it's perhaps in part a way to maintain their importance to the child. So it's again, that threatening of that role. Who am I to you? Am I irrelevant once you are independent? And, and it goes back to one of the core themes that um, all of us experience and that I write about, which is grieving. You know, there's tremendous excitement and exhilaration when we make progress and when we grow. But whenever we leave one stage behind and close one door, we grieve for the end of that stage in preparation for the next stage. So the young adult, despite having this whole panorama of possibilities in front of his or herself, has to grieve for the end of childhood because you can't become an adult unless you say goodbye to childhood. And the parents have to do their own grieving. They have to grieve for the end of the stage of life when they were most necessary, most relevant, most essential, because you're never more essential than when you're raising and caring for your children. So the amount of grief that both generations are encountering is really considerable. And our culture doesn't really speak the language of grief very fluently. We tend to eschew or avoid or circumvent those feelings. But there's tremendous loss entailed with growing up and moving on. And when we take that on, when we allow ourselves to grieve, it really emancipates us. There's some sorrow and there's some melancholy associated with it. But that's what enables us to fully let go of the past and move forward into the future that we'd like to create for ourselves. I think you're right. Our culture really struggles with grief in general. And I'm not an anthropologist, so I don't know if other cultures have a handle on grief any better. But I do know that from just having team taught some courses with an anthropologist, that there certainly are the developmental transitions when you have a culture that provides, and, and we do here with the Jewish American culture, you know, with a bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, that in and of itself is at least something tangible for everyone to kind of experience. And there's so much preparation. And then there's the, the learning that the young person does with the memorization of so, and so forth. And then the party and all of that gives, gives everyone kind of a, a moment to punctuate this transition. And again, it's probably in, in our culture, maybe a little young for, for, I think they're 12 and 13 when they go through that process. But uh, it, at least there's something for everyone to hang their hat on that this is happening. And so let me embrace this happening and let me feel the feelings and feel the grief. And when we don't have something like that, I think it makes it perhaps rougher. Yeah, I agree. And that's one of the things that organized religion has offered and does offer is the, the capacity to ritualize the crossing of various thresholds and these rites of passage. Every religious tradition has uh, rituals, and when we ritualize, when we make, when we sacralize these stages and these transitions, it, it enables us to put them in their place and to move forward. And so, with you know less and less focus on organized religion, because you know many more young adults and families are uh, less connected with uh, traditional religious institutions. There's certainly more investment in atheism and agnosticism, we do have to find other ways to ritualize these unavoidable and inescapable 
rites of passage and life cycle events that define and determine who we are and who we're becoming. And I love the way you put to getting back to that responsibility. I'm, I'm a big fan from my clinical work of a reframe. And, and you put it so nicely. You say sometimes the most powerful way you can convey this faith is by ratcheting up your expectations and by doing so, making it unmistakably clear that you trust in her competence. And you're speaking here to parents not being afraid to expect a lot of their young person, because what that communicates is that you believe in their ability even before they believe in their ability, which the flip side is a parent not realizing that they're undermining and infantilizing their young person by setting the bar too low. Dr. Sachs, thanks again so much for joining me on the program today. Thank you very much. It's really been a pleasure to speak with you. And listeners can find Dr. Sachs at Dr. Brad Sachs, D-R-B-R-A-D-S-A-C-H-S dot com. Dr. Brad dot com. On the website, you can check out Dr. Sachs's many books and see which ones might apply to you and your family during this particular season. Today, we talked about emptying the nest, launching your young adult towards success and self-reliance. So the love and life hack for this week is... Is your helping hurting? Is your helping actually hurting your young adult and preventing him or her from launching? Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Until next time, make it a great week. Dr. Karen Love and Life is produced by Chip Gregory, senior producer Michelle Musso, and host and executive producer Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. 